3: Radio studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
4: A popular Peloton instructor is suing the company for nearly $2 million, alleging that an executive mocked him for being Irish. In response, the executive countersued him for all the treasure in his pot
0: of gold.
5: Real racism against my people. That's a funny joke. That is dang funny.
4: I did not watch the <laughs> Georgia Senate debate because I'm not the kind of person that's going to do that with my life. And I don't live in Georgia. But according to the New York Times, Herschel Walker did a good job. And if the New York Times says he did a good job, I think he's benefiting from unbelievably low expectations.
5: Yeah, there's probably some truth to that.
4: But. And so he uh, he cleared the bar of low expectations. And so they gave him a, a good grade.
5: Yeah, I uh, I had the thought, eh, maybe I'll find that online or something and watch that. Then quickly realized I could find better uses for my time. But, yeah, I woke up the next day and thought, all right, let's see what happened. I'm going to go to a liberal news outlet and see what they have to say about the debate. And the criticisms were mild. There were a couple of moments, I guess, that were a little, what the hell is he talking about-ish, but didn't do badly. Better things to
4: do than watch that debate? Yeah, I, know. I would rather trim someone else's toenails. Oh, my. <laughs> That's how much.
5: Oh, my. I haven't done that since my children were small. Oh, yeah. That's always a... They're yeah. trying to pull away from
4: you, and you got to worry about you know, snipping them.
5: Well, it feels weird, yeah. Oh, and then occasionally... You, oh, no, right. I don't even want to think of it. Gruesome. It's terrible. Terrible. So, a uh, really good column in the New York Times. Column, article, whatever. By a woman of Chinese descent, Li Yuan, uh, writing about Chairman Xi's new era of total control, as they characterize it. If you're not familiar, they're having the big party congress right now in China, where Xi Jinping is going to get an unprecedented third term, solidify his control. He's also going to be appointed to or declared you know, party chairman and grand poobah and... Hero to the people or whatever. They got all these weird titles that <laughs> indicate like how much power he actually has. Hero to the people. But he's going to be the uh, the big, the grandest poobah in China since uh, Mao Zedong. And I'll just read part of this for you. It's, I found it very, very interesting. Hope you do, too. As Xi Jinping was preparing to take the helm of the Chinese Communist Party a decade ago, a great number of China's political business and intellectual elites were hopeful that he would make their country more open, more just, and prosperous. They included, for instance, a professor at the party's top academy who helped train high ranking uh, people, an economist who would win China's top economic prize in 2012, a young historian planning to teach a class about contemporary Chinese history, including sensitive periods like the Cultural Revolution. But Mr. Xi's speech at the opening of the 20th Party Congress on Sunday made it clear that, clearer than ever, that China is moving in the opposite direction. Obsessed with national security he is more focused on quashing all ideological and geopolitical challenges than on reform and opening up uh, the policies, which it's worth mentioning, brought China out of poverty. As an aside, I don't quite get the communist thinking that, all right, we're a communist hellhole. Let's embrace capitalism for, I don't know, 20, 30 years. That'll make us enough money to not be a hellhole. Then we'll go back to communism because it's a better system.
4: Right. Yeah, I don't quite get it either. And the, the the headline that was in WAPO somewhere, Xi presents China as new choice. I guess that's one of the quotes from his speech. China is a new choice for humanity as he readies for his next term. A new choice in which you don't have any choices. Right. You're going to choose a... a, a System where I don't have any choices.
5: Right, it was uh, like uh, who's who said that uh, democracy is not the end; it's a step on the road to where you want to go. It might have been Lenin. Um, wow, yeah, that is ironic. He used the term "new era" thirty-nine times in his speech, boasting of the party's achievements under his leadership but from for some chinese it's been a dark era a shift away from a system that while authoritarian tolerated private enterprise and some diversity in public opinion to one that now espouses a single ideology and a single leader uh this one professor lady is uh talking about uh, well more or less what was just said it's a decade marked by economic retrogression ideological struggles she's been expelled from the party she's not allowed to teach anymore Uh, They all believe that China, with its vast surveillance systems and punitive social control, now resembles Stalin's Soviet Russia and Mao Zedong's China. In their view, even modern Russia and Iran have more space for dissent. Wow. In fact, the whispering around dinner tables and in chat groups uh, of Chinese people refers to China as, essentially, Western North Korea. Wow. Wow.
4: I saw the videos of all the people there listening to his speech and all these, you know, because they're worried about lo- not looking enthusiastic enough, scribbling down notes, nodding their heads, just like, wow. oh, I need to write this down. It's so brilliant.
5: That's like when uh, Kim Jong-un or his papa or grandpapa would do freaking anything. They would tie their shoes and all these guys in general's outfits with medals all over their chest would, ah! oh! oh my god clapping like freaking coke crazed chimpanzees at you know the simplest of acts now you're seeing it in china Mm. last month chinese internet users were astonished as protesters in iran chanted death to the dictator in anti-government demonstrations spurred by the death of the young woman etc they found it remarkable that iranian president had called the victim's father to offer condolences and many chinese people were surprised to learn that before russia's invasion of ukraine Russians could access Twitter and Facebook and that there were several independent Russian Russian media outlets. Beijing nearly has absolutely control over what information Chinese people can access and what they can say online. So, in terms of foreign policy, which is every bit as interesting for us as Americans, uh, uh, Xi, much more belligerent, much more expansionist. Between the Belt and Road, the now large string of artificial islands in the South China Sea, his statements making it clear that uh, the U.S. is the enemy and that uh, sooner or later they're going to grab Taiwan. Right. You know, it's funny. You get to a certain age, as we have, and, and you see eras. You can't see an era when you're 22, um, just by virtue of your limited perspective. The era when China seemed to be our friend and becoming out of the communist, you know, whatever the hell it was mired in, into more openness and
4: exchange. It was, was, a, was a lie anyway. But oh, yeah. It yeah, it, oh, it, was, like.
5: it was a delusion. Yeah. But it's over.
4: Yep. So who here knows something about the Halloween movie franchise? Are you up on that? You know um, about it? Is it the hockey that. mask one, Alex? Is that the guy in the hockey uh, mask? No, it's like the
5: wax faced.
4: Oh, one. okay. That guy. You know, we ought
5: to get my son on the line. He knows him. He is a he is a horror movie freak.
4: I'd be he'd be good to talk to on this. I just saw a headline that said, so they're wrapping up up the series. That movie's been around since I was a kid. Yeah, that it's the number seven or something like that. Anyway, um, uh, I just saw a headline that it's so bad you have to see at the ending. I want somebody who saw it to tell me what the ending is, and then I'll go ahead and tell it on the air with the warning that, because sure. I don't care if I hear what the
5: ending is. I will never watch it.
4: And even if I do. And if I do, too- I don't care if yeah, I know the ending. <laughs> exactly, end. yeah. but I would like to know what the ending was that's so horrible you have to see it.
5: Wow, yeah. Text?
4: Yeah, text 415-295-KFTC. I saw Jamie Lee Curtis being interviewed for this a lot, because she was the young hottie in the first Halloween movie. Right, she's running
5: 65 or whatever.
4: Running for her life constantly. And you think you killed the person and you run, and they're still coming after you.
5: Boy, there's no explaining it. uh, my son's thing with the horror movies, because I've never had any interest in them. Mm. He didn't grow up seeing them. Judy won't watch them at all. But he's just fascinated by it. He's got an encyclopedic knowledge of them. Yeah. He even has a horror movie related tattoo. Wow. Which movie? Do you know? I think the Waxy Face guy. Yeah, Halloween? Yeah. Wasn't your son the one that got scared when he went to see Elf and they put the wrong movie on in the theater? Oh, no, he didn't get scared. It was uh, it was an R-rated movie about the demon possession of some young woman.
4: Well, that's the, well. Then now we've un, you have uncovered the fascination.
5: We found ground zero. Yeah, I think so. You think? Yeah, that's it.
2: It's a well, reaction, a reaction it was, to that
5: trauma. Although it was just a scene where this woman—it was actually Halle Berry—is sitting at a table talking to some inquisitor, whether it was a cop or a priest or whatever. I don't remember. But we're literally waiting for. Will Ferrell's charming family holiday <laughs> classic, Elf. And it starts with this woman sitting at a table. And I'm thinking it's a preview. That's not Bob Newhart. And, 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 <laughs> and, uh, and long time listeners have heard this story before, but all of his parents are thinking, boy, this is a long preview. And this is really intense for all these families sitting, waiting to hear, uh, see Elf. And at one point, the Holly Berry character says, uh, Yes, I saw Satan. Satan came to me, but he didn't want to talk to me. He wanted to F me. But she used the F word. We were like, wow, wait a minute. <laughs> You're all the parents of the, like, hey, stop it. <laughs> yes, they had run that movie instead of Elf in the theater. So, uh, yeah, that could be it, but that's, that's a bit not of a stretch.
4: Zoe Deschanel, what's going on here? No, nobody's wearing curly-toed <laughs> shoes and saying charming things. <laughs> Where's the Asner? I want,
5: I want my <laughs> money back. <laughs> well, I kind of did. <laughs> that's hilarious.
4: <laughs> um, anyway, so if you know the ending of the Halloween movie, and we'll we'll uh, we'll give it to y'all because you probably don't care either. Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. Much more on the way.
3: Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Look
0: out. Yeah, I know you're excited because Biden is here in town, or he just left. Oh. That excited about Biden. Great. Uh, <laughs> no, LA is. I mean, people were lined up on the sidewalks. and Not to see him, they live there.
3: That's...
0: <laughs>
4: yeah. Yeah. One more thing on China. I was looking at the Wall Street Journal editorial piece. It's basically hey, world, realize what China is. Let's wake up. Their final paragraph being a U.S. response to Xi Jinping's, Xi Jinping's challenge is a subject for editorials on other days. But any response has to start with the recognition that the U.S. military isn't currently prepared to meet China's threat. And if Mr. Xi becomes convinced China has an advantage and a hard power, he will find a moment to act against U.S. strategic interest. The US, U.S. must rally its confidence and resources, and soon, if it doesn't want a world dominated by Xi Jinping's thought.
5: Wow, that is so apropos considering we're going to talk about how a lot of our cultural institutions are uh, pitching the benefits of socialism and, and bigger government and at the expense of the free market because being light on our feet is the only way we can meet this challenge. Being focused on the things that really matter and not becoming a gigantic welfare state is the only way we can meet that challenge. And I think we're going in the opposite direction.
4: Yeah, we'll be talking about this, you know, in weeks, months, and years to come if we're still employed. But um, similar to the, I feel like nobody's taking the prospect of nuclear war seriously. I feel like nobody's taking the prospect of China dominating the planet for the next hundred years seriously. Like, you know, during the Cold War, there was worry that, you know, what if the Soviet Union wins and takes over and they're the leading thing? China wants to do that. Mm -hmm. But anyway. Uh, nobody seems to believe that could actually happen or worries about it. We're fat and comfortable.
5: We you know I am.
4: Came across a funny joke over the weekend. When I Oh, man, I was fighting with my printer last night. I hate fighting with the printer. That should be its only ca- own category. I have this great color printer, and it's absolutely fantastic, but it was only printing in black and white, and I just could not figure out why it was only printing in black and white. Mm. It's for a project for my son for school. He has to give a speech today. We're also working on the memorizing the speech. How do you go about memorizing a speech? I, I've done it many times. I used to do it, but what, what's, what's the uh, normal way people do it? Chunk at a time, I guess. Chunk at a time? That's what we were doing it. Line at yeah. a time. Boy, I haven't had to
5: do that for a long time. I mean, I kind of, you know, when we speak, I'll have an outline in my head, but yeah. not like literally, you know, it's funny. I was tempted at one point to, to do a TED talk on something. Somebody mentioned, I can't remember what the topic was, they said, you ought to do a TED talk. I was like, oh, that's an interesting idea, so I looked into it. You have to present it 100% in advance, the exact script, and then present it from memory. I thought, eh, sounds like work. What was the topic, dude? Do I don't know? remember. No.
4: Huh. Yeah, so I had my son, he did the, uh the, okay, give me the first four lines, after he did the first three lines. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Anyway, I came across this joke over the weekend. I was on a Southwest flight, particularly funny, Steward is on a Southwest flight. Mm-hmm. You know how uh, a lot of them try to throw in a little humor, but some of them, I mean, really look at it like they're they're at the Chuckle Hut or the Haha ha Factory or whatever, yeah. and this is really yeah. their opportunity to work some material. But I thought this was joke was funny enough to write down. I tried to just, I tried to start a sarcasm club, but I couldn't tell who actually wanted to join. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, I love that! I thought that was pretty funny. That uh, reminds me of one of my t- favorite T shirts for a very long time. It said National Sarcasms Association, like we need your support. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> That's funny.
4: Uh, other thing that happened family wise yesterday is my son got a haircut. He was unhappy with the way it turned out. Mm. And he was uh, complaining uh, afterwards. Uh, they always ask you, how do you like your haircut? I, and, she, and he said, I always think, like, what, are you going to put the hair back on if I'm not happy with it? I mean, what am I supposed to say at this
5: point? <laughs> yeah, apple falling that far from the tree.
4: Yes. Do you know this term? Contronym?
5: No, I don't believe so. It comes so. from
4: the world of, like, synonym, antonym. It's a kind of word. Contronym. Contronym. Don't know it. Single words that have two contradictory meanings. They are their own opposites. <laughs> Contronyms. There are rare, but here's ten of them. For instance, I'll go with a good one to start with. Dust. Dust is either to add fine particles or to remove fine particles. Oh, yeah. Like a dusting of powdered sugar would be to dust it. Or to dust it would be to get rid of the powdered sugar on your table. Right. Right. Fast. Quick or stuck or made stable. Oh, I see. Yeah. To hold fast. Left. Remained or departed. We left him there, or he left. It's blowing my mind. <laughs> it's kind of odd that a, that a word would develop that over time, isn't it? That yeah. it would be its opposite? Yeah. Depending on the... I'd have to look into the etymology. Sanction, to approve or to boycott. Right. Uh, bolt, to secure or to flee.
5: Or to flee, yeah. Right. Wow. Language. Fascinating, isn't it? I was bolting things down all day. Then I said to hell with this, and
4: I bolted. Then I left. Right. Or was left. (laughs) If you miss an hour of the show, including this fascinating segment, you can get it through podcast form Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
0: Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Cronoworth swings, lines it into center field, that's
5: a base hit! Him will score. Here comes Soto. The throw from Thompson kicks off the mound. A two-run single, and the Padres in front. It's
4: five to three. And it stayed that way. And the Dodgers have been eliminated again with the highest payroll in baseball and winning a gazillion games. And happens a
5: lot to them. Oof! You know, I haven't checked, Alex. Who won last night? uh, The Yankees and Cleveland. I'm not going to say the Guardians. In the news, it was the Yankees. Oh, okay. So that five tonight. Two to two, because I know Major League Baseball. If they lose New York and L.A., yeah, they may just call it off. Not bother.
4: You got your San Diego's and Houston's
5: hanging around. Yeah, and with all due respect to those fabulous baseball towns.
4: Oh yeah, just yeah. Uh,
5: dollars and cents. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
4: Although you know, I, I like plucky underdogs. I don't. Eh. Um, the observation has been made, and this is true: that the that Major League Baseball, more than any of the other major sports, is a regional thing. If your team is in it. Everybody's into it in your area, but if your team is not into it, you don't pay attention. Whereas, like, the NFL, you watch just as much, pretty much, no matter who's doing well.
5: Mm -hmm. In in the the playoffs and all. Just through the season. You're, like,
4: into the Bills or the Chiefs or the whoever's, you know, fun right now. Mm -hmm. Uh,
5: Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that, but uh, it rings true. Uh, Anyway, I'll watch the World Series no matter who's in it. Uh, bar- so I was amazed by this uh, and shocked and, and horrified by it, um, and I realized Jack and I were just chatting during the commercial break that I'm coming off like uh, uh, Joseph McCarthy today. I'm just hammering anti-communism throughout the day, but what the heck? Um, <clears throat> Andy Kessler wrote a piece for the Wall Street Journal that I thought was just terrific. He hit the uh, the New York Public Library the other day, you're like Nixon in 48, really right now. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be. Nixon 73, not so much. <laughs> Polls show more than half of 18 to 24 year olds in the US have a negative view of capitalism. Again, I don't like the term capitalism because it comes from Karl Marx. I prefer the term free markets, but more than half uh, so more than half have a negative view of free markets, more than half have a positive view of socialism. This is 18- to 24-year-olds. And he says, I wonder where they got that. I recently strolled through the New York Public Library's Treasures exhibit, which would delight readers and writers alike. Has Charles Dickens' writing desk. Mm, Cool. That would be amazing. A manuscript delivered in a box from former newspaper columnist Mark Twain, trying out his uh, hand as an author. Awesome. Yeah. Draft cover art for Jack Kerouac's On the Road. An illustrated page from Tom Wolfe's The Bonfire of the Vanities Manuscript. Pretty cool stuff. Ah, look! A first edition of Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations from 1776. Wow, that's cool. The Free Market Bible. First edition. Wow. Yeah, cool. I was in awe until I read the description. And I quote, this is from the New York Public Library. Adam Smith believed, as did Karl Marx the following century, that national prosperity was best measured by a country's labor power rather than by how much gold lay in its treasury. I guess that description is technically correct, he wrote, but Karl Marx? In the same breath as Adam Smith, who called free markets, quote, the obvious and simple system of natural liberty? Unlike Smith, Marx naively saw a static world without productivity, only labor exploitation. He completely missed that labor is more brain than brawn. Add exhibit curators to the list of socialist tub thumpers.
4: Well, yeah, so I'm guessing it's just a couple of lines of description of what the book is about. And they decided to include
5: that. that he agrees more or less with Karl Marx. Wow. Which is horrifying and wildly dishonest. And then the columnist writes, and quite uh, appropriately, I wonder what Stephen Schwartzman, who's the CEO of the rather capitalistic private equity firm Blackstone and giver of $100 million to the New York Library, whose name is etched in stone outside, wonder what he thinks about the Marxist agenda of the library's curators. Well, wouldn't you know it? Next to the Wealth of Nations was none other than manuscript notes for Das Kapital by Karl Marx. Which, historically speaking, I mean, it's like Hitler's prison rough draft of Mein Kampf. It may be horrible, but to see it in front of you is sure, yeah, historically notable. Here's the description of Das Kapital by Karl Marx. Now, <laughs> I hate to hate to give you a spoiler, but these theories and the governments formed around them killed hundreds of millions of people in the 20th century alone. When you count starvation and murder and pogroms and horrific wars, communism killed more than Nazism, not even close. Here's your description of the wealth of nations by Marx. The work has exerted an immense and lasting influence on world events. Over the past century, its ideas have not only maintained a secure place in the realm of economic and political theory, but also inspired anti-capitalist revolutions across the globe. Wow! Okay, rich the columnist, but it was a lasting negative influence. And of course there was no mention of the hundreds of millions of people impoverished and slaughtered by Marxist regimes. But there's more. The description goes on. Do I dare do this? In the next part of the description, we'll make you take up arms. <laughs> <laughs> After a quick word from our friends at Simply Face, Safe Home Security, not Simply Face, Simply Safe. Simply Face was my alternative to Facebook that I tried to get going. <laughs> I didn't catch on. Not at all. We had three users at the height of it. So Simply Safe Home Security. The old school home security systems, you see the signs in the yards, you've thought, "Okay, that's the gold standard." No, Simply Safe is way better and less expensive.
4: Simply Safe blankets your home in protection with advanced sensors for every room, window, and door, HD security cameras for inside and outside your home, smarter ways to detect motion that only alert you when a threat is real. Even hazard sensors that detect fires, floods, and other threats to your home. And all this for a dollar-ish a day, depending on which system you get. You set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. Pretty
5: impressive. And all of this comes when you sign a five-year contract. No! No contract! What?! No, no long term contracts ever. They earn your business every day. Customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. Go today, claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Then post about it at Safe Book. What did I say? Fresh um, face. Fresh face, whatever. <laughs> Simply Simpli- face. Simply face. Simplysafe.com <laughs> uh, slash Armstrong. So where was I? Ah, that's right. Outraged about communism. (laughs) It's a New York public library.
4: Is that where you said this is? Yeah.
5: Yeah. So, again, they're describing uh, Das Kapital by Karl Marx and how it's exerted an immense and lasting influence on world events. Boy, ask people in uh, Maoist China, be they in heaven or hell. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. It had a lasting influence on me when I starved to death with my entire family. The people of Hong Kong right now. Oh, God. Yeah. The description goes on. Karl Marx's foundational account of capitalist production and its manifold effects on human lives still inspires argument, insight, and resistance. Inspires, he writes. Marxism is a desperate and dangerous call for redistribution from the productive class to, say, museum curators. No matter a 2018 New York Times opinion piece blared, happy birthday, Karl Marx, you were right. No. Ugh the wow. Marx rehabilitation tour continues wow that is something wait there's more 2020 edelman global survey found that 56 percent of people agreed that quote capitalism as it exists today does more harm than good in the world wow oh god please read stephen pinkerton's pinker rather stephen pinker's uh enlightenment now please Really, I guess that somehow the global increase in living standards and lowering of the extreme poverty rate from 36% to under 10% since 1990 happened by magic. It's really a miracle since capitalism is so bad and Marxism is so good. Of the poorest southern border, President Biden recently noted, what's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. Why would anyone leave a Marxist paradise for the capitalist U.S.? Maybe the New York Public Library has an answer. Wow, it's good—some good, good sarcasm. Sarcasm. An almost fanatical devotion to Marxism is everywhere. The journal's Eric Gibson wrote a fantastic piece last month titled "Woke Ideologues Are Taking Over American Art Museums," which got serious push- pushback from the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Were expected to. We're exposed to, rather, anti-capitalist agendas every day. You wouldn't expect this from the National Portrait Gallery in Washington, but here's some words under Cornelius Vanderbilt's portrait. He began in the rough-and-tumble world of the New York port, and by 1829 had parlayed several small shipping ventures into a stake in the lucrative Hudson River trade. No mention that he did this by offering lower prices and better service than the Hudson River Steamboat Association, which was a government-sanctioned monopoly. Still, the museum labels the Commodore a ruthless monopolist. He was no saint, but he did afford, uh, provide affordable steamships to San Francisco and expand uh, railroads, etc. Here's another one from the Portrait Gallery. John D. Rockefeller once remarked, the only question with wealth is, what do you do with it? By 1913, Rockefeller, a founder of the Standard Oil Company, had amassed an estimated $900 million earned from an aggressive reorganization of the oil industry. Get it? Wealth is evil and never deserved. Remarkably, no mention of his role in driving down the price to consumers for energy that boosted a rapidly expanding economy. Again, no saint, but the gallery notes, quote, he rehabilitated his reputation in later years by supporting charitable causes. Wasn't he considered, at least for a while, the greatest giver to charity who's ever lived on Earth?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But so no talk of having to rehabilitate your image for Karl Marx.
5: Just no. it's just assumed your image has always been fine. His lasting influence, right? That's something. These are our great cultural institutions. It's because they're run by and infected by the same people with the same attitudes as our schools and universities. How do you how do you halt that? What do you do about that? I'm not for like ideological purges and and, and McCarthyism, as I was joking about before. But it seems like all of our cultural institutions are like feeding from the same river of of. Marxist filth I don't know what to do about it
4: it's troubling yeah I'd say hey there's a new book out that I'm excited to read I uh, have to tell you about on why the impeachments of Trump were so poorly executed oh Something, you've been
5: talking about this for a long time
4: yeah I'm glad there's a book out about it and uh, a couple other things we could tell you about like just how old is our government? <laughs> In terms of the uh, the age of people that are running oh, it. Oh, the people
5: running it? Yeah.
4: As of, hell, I believe. A couple interesting stats for you. Hagrid died. Oh. see that on Friday? The guy I who did. played Hagrid in the Harry Potter movies? The great
5: Robbie Coltrane. He's actually a, a small fellow. Not a giant? Not a giant. Not even a, he's like below average size. I think. Really? He's a little guy. Yeah. You're casting Hagrid and you pick
4: somebody who's not a giant to play. It's him. the miracle of cinema. <laughs> um, uh, Alex, you could have been Hagrid. You're very big. You're a big guy. I was also five when the movie came out. Well, so, yeah, but yeah. That would have been a weird cast, too. <laughs> you're a wizard, Harry. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> what, what was your voice for Hagrid when you read Harry Potter to your kids? Oh,
5: wow. The movies hadn't come out yet, so I don't know. I don't remember. I, I would pay $1,000 for a tape of that. Ah, Harry, you're a
4: witch. That's the voice I'm kind of going with. That's there. a good one. Yeah. Good as sure, a little gruff and my giant-ish. Dumbledore is a little more regal. Yes, certainly. <laughs> We're almost done with book one for Henry. He's digging it. I, I was uh, a little snaky for uh, Voldemort. Uh, I got that one right. Well, you got Snape. You got to deal with also. He's also kind of a you know c- complicated character. But
5: yeah, yeah. I only have so many different voices, and then Snape has so. passed too, and the first Dumbledore is gone as well.
4: Yeah. So then I've got to throw, and then then it just becomes Homer Simpson or something like that. Because
5: <laughs> I only have so many voices. So
4: you're a wizard Harry (laughs) Voldemort paralyzed me don't (laughs) more on the way
3: Armstrong and Getty
0: if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss Playing Dirty Sports Scandals each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver.
1: From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life,
3: The Armstrong and Getty Show.
2: That on January 6, Pelosi herself shut down an effort by some of her members to try to impeach that Trump that very night. And, you know, there was like McCarthy was furious. Republicans were just as upset as Democrats that night. I mean, what would have happened if they had just done that, put it on the floor? We'll never what? know. Of
4: We will never know. That's from a new book called Unchecked, delving into a question I've had since the beginning of why the Democrats handled the impeachments the way they did. And I had my guesses, which I've uh, shared on the air and still believe is true. But finally, there's a book about it. Now, it's written by...
5: This is the second impeachment, the Jan 6 impeachment,
4: Both impeachments. Unchecked is the untold story behind Congress's botched impeachments of Donald Trump. I'll read a little bit from the book. Now, it's it's from a WAPO reporter and a political reporter. And I'm not saying from the beginning that they clearly weren't actually trying to impeach and remove him. And I don't know why this hasn't been more reported. A revealing behind-the-scenes examination of how Congress twice fumbled its best chance to hold accountable a president many consider to be dangerous. An insider account. The definitive and only, it says here... Insider account of both Trump impeachments is told by two reporters on the front lines. In a riveting account that flips the script. Well, it doesn't for me. Not for this show. I've been thinking this since the beginning. In a riveting account that flips the script on what readers think they know about the two impeachments of Donald Trump. The two reporters look into the congressional oversight and how it failed. Uh, Unchecked weaves a vivid narrative of how... House Democrats, under the lead of a cautious speaker, hesitated and then pulled punches in their effort to oust him in a misguided effort to protect themselves politically. That's exactly what was going on. The first impeachment, they wanted Trump to still be the guy they were running against. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to boot him out of office. And then the second one, which the the authors say they don't know, and I don't know for certain. The second one, I don't think they clearly wanted to boot him either. Even after January 6th, as you just heard in that clip there, that night, Democrats and some Republicans were howling for, let's get rid of him. We could do it tomorrow, right. which I think there was public will to do. But they didn't want to. They wanted to keep him around because I guess I guess Nancy thought they were better off with Trump as a foil. Still, I don't know.
5: Well, well, right, and to hang it around Republicans' neck. Here, here's the question: How do we really maximize the positive, uh, you know, effect for the Democratic Party? Because after January 6th, again, everybody's outraged. Everybody was yelling for Trump to go, uh, of, you know, ver- not everybody. I know some of you weren't, but a lot of people were that aren't now. What if you could have all of that, but then hang around the necks of the Republicans that they didn't vote to get rid of him? You'd have your cake and eat it too. You'd have the outrage and then extra outrage because you would put articles of impeachment forward that were so unswallowable the republicans couldn't vote for them you get it both ways that was her calculation
4: it's clearly to me what happened
5: it was it's you know if it were like in 17th century italy or something like that you know the various giant families were the powerful families were involved i'd be looking at it as a masterstroke of brutal uh, strategy but if you actually believe democracy's at stake, you wouldn't do
4: that. All well, right. I think over time, when passions cool and you're not emotionally invested in the current players, I think that will be history's read on it. That uh, they weren't. They were being just as cynical as Trump was. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You think he's a danger? The biggest danger to America in our history. Mm, but you didn't boot him out because he thought it would be helpful. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty... He's hanging
5: around the Republican's neck. Better to have him around. Yeah, yeah, just uh, so cynical. It reminds me of our, uh, our conversation last week about everybody thinks they can just play around with our system and our society and our government and the rest of it and profit from it. Um, uh, yet another reference to Elliot Ackerman's uh, The Fifth Act, which I f- finally finished, and we're going to bring you some audio from the audio book. Um, but he talks about... Everybody knows the the phrase, the military-industrial complex. He talks about the political-industrial complex, and I thought it was brilliant. So, mm-hmm. more on that.
4: So, Ian Bremmer put out these stats. I just thought it was interesting about how old our government is. Biden's going to turn 80 here soon, which reminds me every time my mom's about to turn 80, so i got to come up with something. But Biden turns 80 next month. The median age of senators, well, I'll work up. The median age of House members is 58.9, so almost 60 for the House. The median age of senators 64.8. Mm. That's pretty high for a median. Meanwhile, the median age of Americans is 38.5.
2: Mm.
5: I don't mind you know the, the houses of our supposed leadership being a little older and more experienced, but I've known a hell of a lot of really smart people in their 40s, 50s who would be fabulous senators.
4: <laughs> right. If you miss an hour of the show, like me talking about the Chinese restaurant I went to in hour one, for interest, man. Oh, so gross. That was something. Uh, If you miss an hour of the show, you can get it in podcast form. Just look for Armstrong and Getty On Demand.
0: You didn't even get to the party's leadership. Oof.
3: Armstrong and Getty.
0: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss.